The Real Chemistry Podcast connects the dots between our guests and the innovative work they do to show up and shape the future of healthcare. Why? So you, the listener, are encouraged to join us on our relentless pursuit to make the world a healthier place for all. Some may call it idealism. We call it real chemistry. Hello, this is Aaron Strout, CMO of Real Chemistry and the host of the Real Chemistry Podcast. Today we have a interesting show, maybe the most unique we've ever had. You'll be hearing from the CEO and co-founder of a company called Seekster. His name is Artie Arianpour, and we have our own Larry Mickelberg, who is a group president here at Real Chemistry. Artie has some news to share. I won't spill the beans. We'll talk about data interoperability, patient centricity, patients owning their data, and what the possible outcomes are. I really hope you'll stay tuned and listen in to this fascinating conversation. All right, gentlemen, uh, let's jump in. So before we get started with Artie and Larry, there's a tradition, even though it's relatively early in the day, my time, a little later at Larry's time, that Artie has introduced us to, and that is this uh, little liquid gold, Casamigos, and a little shot before we get started, which will be more impressive in just a second as we get into some late-breaking news that Artie is going to share with us. So, gentlemen, uh, salute to start. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, Artie's going right out of the bottle. I love it. Oh, I'm going straight out of the bottle. Oh, okay. Into a shot glass. There we go. I was going to be really impressed if you don't get out of the bottle. All right, so Your help. we have Hello. a great line of questioning today, but Artie did let us know as we were getting started that he had some kind of astounding news. You'll appreciate this uh, coming from Real Chemistry because we have been big time advocates of uh, vaccine confidence and getting the vaccines irrespective of which one you choose. Artie shared with us today that he contracted the Delta variant, in spite of being a fully vaccinated uh, adult, that he had it. And Artie, you have some uh, color commentary to share around that. Why, in spite of the fact that it sucks that you got it, why it's so good that you got the vaccine and what it's helped save you from and a little PSA to all of the folks listening in today. Yeah, first off, thanks so much, Aaron and Larry, for having me on Real Chemistry's podcast. A big fan of your guys' platform and you guys have been some of the biggest advocates of vaccinations and just making you know the world a healthier place. So from everyone at Seekster and among myself, thank you so much for all you do, number one. Uh, as you guys can see, um, I'm, not, I'm not the normal RD because I'm pretty congested and I'm in a unique position today to talk to you as a patient and a caregiver. Unfortunately, I'm joining you after being diagnosed with the SARS-CoV-2 Delta variants, um, sweating a hundred plus degree, um, even uh, fever through my fully vaccinated self. Um, I, I've had two doses of the Pfizer vaccine. I was one of the first folks to get uh, the Pfizer vaccine um, back in February. And before this, I was caregiving for my fully vaccinated wife who is a clinical psychologist who runs clinical trials um, for one of the biggest um, clinical trial and IRB companies in the world who got COVID and was sick before me. I can share with you that um, we've been more careful than anyone. My wife still washes our groceries. Um, We've been 
you know, quarantining for a long time. And somehow someone, you know, that wasn't vaccinated gave us this Delta variant. I'm an example of how Seekster unlocks siloed, you know, health data, including my vaccination status, connected thermometer, health data from seeing my doctor, um, my wife's health data. So before Seekster, all of this valuable data that could go um, into, you know, vaccine development or contract tracing would be lost. But Seekster solves this problem on an individual level. And now imagine what it can do for a large cohort and pharma companies that want to rapidly enter the fight against COVID or any disease. And lastly, you know, we all need to seek health data, even when we're healthy, because I was vaccinated and I didn't end up in the ICU. And this is so important for every viewer to understand this. But there was some data that was not captured in the traditional setting. And, you know, this is why it is so important um, to connect to any data source, regardless of where it may be. I've been saying this for a long time, Larry and Aaron, as you guys know. But now I'm living proof as I'm sweating here, still on your podcast. I didn't cancel. My bed was drenched in sweat. I've taken four showers. I've been on an hour of sleep. The last hundred hours have been terrible. Um, I'm living proof that COVID is a data problem as much as it is an infectious disease problem. It's a bigger problem actually, because we know so much about COVID, but all of that data is being siloed. So how can we help the world together? Well, I don't know if there could be a better segue into our conversation today. I am sorry that you feel that way. Hopefully the Casamigos, for those that couldn't see this, because this is an audio and a video podcast, we, we feature the audio, but uh, some get the power of seeing the, the video piece. Artie, I do want to start where we originally planned, as that was a great lead-in, because you have been described as a visionary health tech pioneer and serial entrepreneur. People have probably seen you speak at a variety of different, you know, HIMSS, uh, Health 2.0, and, and other amazing events. You have 20 years of experience in healthcare applying technology, big data, and genomics, which you just sort of talked a little bit about. I always like to dig in a little bit from the beginning. So we started at the end. We're going to go to the beginning Let's hear about that journey leading up to you founding Seekster in 2016 and how, you know, what gave you the bug and, and got you headed down this path? Yeah, you know, um, I, I've been so fortunate in my life having, you know, certain circumstances that were, you know, tough that allowed me to get to where I am today. I'm just so, you know, humbled to be in a position to be able to give back. I arrived in San Diego, California as a six-year-old immigrant, um, I was born in Tehran, Iran, um, born in the Iran-Iraq war. My family and I, we, we um, escaped the regime and came as far out west that you can come. And that was San Diego. Uh, while most people were going to New York or San Francisco or LA, uh, my father decided to land us in San Diego. Um, and uh, I didn't waste any time getting started, I guess, in uh, working within the healthcare or biotech um, segments of the world. At the age of 16, I landed my first job at the Salk Institute 
And then after that, I was um, pre-med and then got into a series of various different sales and marketing roles and became a biotech executive in my late 20s. Um, prior to starting Seekster, I launched several clinical and consumer-based genetic tests. Um, I spent 15 plus years in DNA sequencing and I served as um, senior vice president of a small startup that I grew from less than 20 people to over a thousand um, that got sold to Konica for 1 billion. And then um, that allowed me during that time to be part of the um, a key player in the 2013 SCOTUS decision landmark um, of scrapping gene patents that involved um, you know, playing an instrument, instrumental role um, in expanding genetic testing across um, the launch of the BRCA or BRCA testing that benefited patients and family members. My mom is a, a breast cancer survivor and my dad is a colon cancer survivor of recent. So, um, you know, health data is medicine. And um, we've learned this through Seekster 2016, founded Seekster and um, never looked back. It's been the most incredible entrepreneurial journey. It's been the most special um, uh, window of my life because I've been able to give back to patients with our technology. Our team has created something just incredible. And, you know, Larry has had firsthand experience at Real Chemistry with this and knows a lot about our technology and what it does to um, impact patient lives at scale, Aaron. Well, so thank you for sharing that. It's always helpful to know, I think, when someone is advocating on behalf of a group to hear that you've got personal experience. I'm sorry that that happened to your parents, but um, hopefully that, you know, has helped you and helped make the world a better place through what you're doing. We'll talk a little bit more about specifically what Seekster does in a sec. I do also want to acknowledge my colleague, Larry, um, who is kind enough to join us today. Larry, you've taken a different path, uh, very healthcare centric. You've been in more of a big agency consultancy role. You came in, I think, through our friend George Galati, who's one of our board members. I did. You joined us several months ago at Real Chemistry from Deloitte, where you were managing director. Let's talk a little bit about what got you down this path and what, what made you choose healthcare? Yeah, thank you. Uh, and I don't know how to follow a COVID diagnosis and Artie's incredible origin story, but I, I will try. It'll bound to disappoint, but I'll give it my best shot. You know, when I took my first job, uh, I probably had no idea then that the universe was conspiring to sort of put me in the right place at the right time. Uh, I work as a clerk and a delivery driver in a neighborhood drugstore. Shout out to Rappaport Pharmacy in Philadelphia, uh, you know, where I got up close and personal experience understanding, uh, relating to and empathizing with people dealing with health concerns, you know, and the rest from the age of 16 is, you know, as they say, history. Uh, healthcare and life sciences and digital have remained really interesting domains for me. Um, for many years, working on Madison Avenue, as you mentioned, you know, for example, the global chief digital officer for many years at Havas Health, a founding uh, executive vice president at the agency Digitas Health, and as you just mentioned most recently, uh, as a managing director and life sciences and healthcare practice leader uh, at Deloitte. And what's exciting for me today is the convergence of those domains. And that is really to say an enhanced role of technology into healthcare marketing uh, with communications and experiences uh, underpinned by deeper understanding and empathy, driving longitudinal health experiences that can really change behaviors to drive real value measures 
such as outcomes. You know, we're in a moment where we can fundamentally reimagine health. And so I came to Real Chemistry because the building blocks of this approach, things like secure centralized data, uh, analytic intelligence, enabling technologies like AI and agile content and personalization are foundational to the offer, uh, I believe, at our company. And I've been able to work with a really sharp team of like-minded people doing really great work in this space. We all think incessantly about connecting the health dots and then radicalizing how to activate insights through communications and technology. So that's my 30,000 foot uh, arc, if you will. Well, I love it. And it ties so nicely into the conversation we're gonna have today, particularly around patient data and really why that is this fourth wall or the the secret to unlocking a tremendous amount of value in the healthcare system, empowering patients. So I'll bounce it back to you, Artie. You started this company in 16 called Seekster, S-E-Q-S-T-E-R. Um, let's start, but what does that mean? And then tell us a little bit more about the company and what its purpose is. Yeah, look, the name really came for me um, actually after a run. And then I, I wanted to create the Napster of health data, I guess you could say. And so um, I literally went and just bought the name online and it came to me Seekster because of my DNA sequencing experience. But at the same time, I felt like everyone was a Seekster because at some point you're going to be seeking health data. Look, I'm the CEO of Seekster and I'm seeking more health data last hundred hours as a caregiver for my wife, having been you know diagnosed with COVID as well as myself now, because I was caring for her and then and then contracted you know the um, delta variant here as i mentioned at the beginning the fundamental challenge that we face in healthcare aaron and larry is the barrier to data and the data flow and seekster directly addresses this through patient engagement right to enable our enterprise partners um, to drive efficient healthcare via comprehensive medical records, that EMR, EHR data, along with adding that individual genomic data, that DNA data, and any personal health device sensor wearable data. And for the first time, Aaron and Larry, um, clinical trial subjects are able to create their own matched longitudinal health data profiles across all of their US-based healthcare data sources through um, person-centric interoperability. At Seekster, you know, in short, we have pioneered patient-centric interoperability. And this is so very important for the time that we live in um, and as well as the opportunities that exist both in healthcare and, uh, you know, in the pandemic, or you want to call it post-pandemic, even though I think, you know, the, the pandemic and the unvaccinated is coming like we've never known uh, next. <laughs> Sadly, it is. Um, for the sake of time, I'm going to actually combine my next two questions. And Larry, I'm going to kick it over to you because one of the reasons we're here today, we are talking about patient data, patient centricity, but one of the foundational issues, which I think most people, even if you're not in the world of healthcare, know is that health data is siloed, right? We're working on it. We'll talk a little bit about the 21st Century CARES Act in a minute, but that is the foundational issue is it gets trapped. So even if you have the data, not everyone has access to it. And then we'll also talk about that critical piece of the interoperability where anyone that grew up like in the 90s and the early 2000s, and they remember 
you know, systems not being able to talk to each other and, you know, the, the web is sort of equalized a lot of this and we have a much more standardized way of collecting data and, you know, connecting the dots on things. But Larry, let's talk a little bit about that fundamental problem of siloed data. Yeah, thanks. You know, it, it is interesting, right? Because I think until now, the only really coherent ecosystems in healthcare have been the individual patients themselves or, or ourselves. Um, you know, we're the ones that have an integrated and embedded, you know, in one skin ecosystem with our unique combination of genes and organs and body systems and neurology and medical histories and patterns of behavior and all the things that make us us. You know, and now there's a real prospect of gathering and integrating data from this individually embodied ecosystem with sensors and imaging and behavioral exposure and lifestyle and a whole lot more of other sort of exogenous or, you know, kind of outside data, you know, and, and pervasive computing tech can be used now to track and analyze how each individual responds to anything that might have an impact on their health and wellness status. You know, such data can be used to develop highly targeted interventions, communications and services that are closely matched to the profile of individuals. And so these data sets that have been formally siloed for so long can now really for the first time be safely aggregated into one place you know, and represent what I would call a non-negotiable integration point on which everyone can rely. And these integrations become, I think, the foundation to experience and data-driven platforms to allow for signal detection or hyper-targeting of patients based on their own status, well-being goals, clinical variables, or other data that enables the rapid response through the patient's preferred channel to provide what I call sort of timely individualized communications. And that is often, and as I'm sure Artie will talk about in the context of clinical trials, but also I believe has immense commercial possibilities uh, as well and can really usher in a new era for us in healthcare communications. Well, that's helpful. And I think, you know, starting back with the, the coronavirus, we've gone through this whole set of waves of how many people were impacted, how many hospitalizations, how many deaths, and now it's the levels of vaccination. I think it's always helpful to understand the basis of where you're starting from. So you just talked, Larry, about the value of this interoperability. I did mention the 21st Century CARES Act, which got enacted earlier this year, I think in January, but really has just started to uh, be enforced as of earlier this month. So, Artie, I'm going to ask you as one of the experts here, let's talk about the state of interoperability today in the U.S. We know it varies globally, but I think let's start here. And then let's talk a little bit more about sort of, you know, the leading use cases that come out of creating more interoperable data as we go forward. And by by the way, Larry, I have to call out exogenous. Great word. Nice 50 cent word right there. So, Artie, over My to pleasure. you. <laughs> yeah, look, um, I think... Um, uh, what's interesting around the interoperability is that everyone's kind of talking about it more now than they were before. Um, one thing that has led to that, and I think you mentioned it just a couple of minutes ago, was the fact that um, the CMS ONC interoperability final ruling has, you know, finally, <laughs> finally, finally became a final rule, I guess, right? And it was delayed because of the start of the pandemic. But um, now payers, providers are going to have to be paying penalties if they don't give patients access to health information. This is, this is a human right. Why did it even have to get to this place? Why are we even talking about that? Right. And so for me, it's a big frustration, actually, to be honest with you. I'm glad that, you know, 
CMS and ONC, you know, finally were able to get some folks together and push this forward. That's great. What we didn't know when we started Seekster in 2016, Aaron and Larry, and I've had these discussions with Larry one-on-one before on different calls, is that we didn't know Seekster was going to become law. We created a technology that became law before the law, actually. We were GDPR compliant, CMS ONC, you know, um, interoperability compliant before it came out. We've created a true, you know, technology and platform that puts the patient at the center of their healthcare and allows them to disrupt those data silos and bring together what I call a longitudinal health record in moments time. And there's just so much value of of that information. You know, talking to you guys, celebrating health with Casa Amigos on on this call, having, you know, congestion and, um, you know, sweating. I'm literally sweating here. You can see sweat going down. I don't usually sweat like this unless I run 40 miles or bike 80 miles, right? And which I was just doing a couple days ago before this stupid Delta variant that hit me. But this is, we're living in, I want everyone to hear this story, not because of Seekster, but I want everyone to understand how important it is for us to capture data, share data, and not be afraid to do so because we're all human beings. If we don't do that, we can't help. All my wife and I have been doing for the past, you know, several, you know, days is sharing via text message what our symptoms are and letting everyone know what our symptoms are so that one, people don't be afraid, two, the people that didn't get vaccinated better get their ass and go get vaccinated, and three, they understand that, okay, wow, health data is really medicine. And so it's no more clear than a time now. And I think how it relates if we turn gears to pharma and enterprises and life science companies, you know, these companies are in charge of creating the vaccines, creating the drugs. It's not just about COVID, it's about cancer. It's about rare disease. It's about autoimmune disease. It's about Alzheimer's. It's about, you know, every single thing that can affect us in our lifetime. And, you know, I do uh, seriously do believe that you have to be the CEO of your health and your health is your new wealth. And if we don't have a system to actually capture this information and share it on your terms, then I think we're just falling so behind. It's 2021, guys. I mean, I don't understand why, you know, we are stuck in such a rut where, you know, there's companies like ours that have a technology that can help millions of people overnight. Well, I think, you know, one of the things, if there was any positive from the pandemic, it taught us one, we can work in a distributed fashion, right? It also taught us that uh, digital health and health IT and telemedicine and digital therapeutics are a lot easier than people thought. And this feeds into, it's much easier to collect digital data or, you know, health data when you do have a digital intermediary. You mentioned upfront already that, the thermometers, right, that are connected and all this good stuff. I think one of the things that the, the, the systems and the bureaucracy that's held us back a bit, we're moving past those. 
But then there's also the patients themselves. And I think there are patients that are still concerned. What if my payer knows about a certain pre-existing condition or something? So it's a double-edged sword. So I think one of the things, just like talking about the value of getting vaccinated, let's talk a little bit about the value proposition for patients. And I know we've touched on this already, but why is it, and Larry, we'll, st- we'll start with you, but Artie, I'd also like to get your take. Why is it so critical that they, you know, what are the things that they can do with this? And then, you know, why is it so important for them to trust that this is a good thing and it can, it can really only help you? I think, look, um, you bring up a really good point. I think, look, health data is sensitive, right? Um, any data is sensitive. Imagine all the data that we're sharing already when you're doing a Google search or you're on Facebook and you're doing that and you're getting that service. Why is it we don't really care about that, but we kind of do? I understand that health data is definitely much more sensitive. No questions asked about that. Privacy and security are, are super key. But I'll give you an example. Kaiser has about 11 million patients, okay, in the state of California. And they have one encryption key for all their 11 million patients. My data and your data are already being hacked. My data and your data are already being sold on the black markets by the, I won't mention companies, you know exactly what those big companies are, right? And so um, what I don't understand is if we have a better system now and better technologies to actually get the patients involved and engaged and let them consent to share, as long as the patient, meaning me, my wife, my family, whoever, my mom, my dad, want to consent to share their cancer data, right? Then, you know, they should be able to do so. But, you know, I think now, finally, these enterprises, especially pharma and life sciences, are understanding, Aaron, that patient centricity has to be first. And it's taken them a while, but it's not about, and this is why, you know, decentralized trials are are taking off because of patient centricity. And so at the end of the day, when you do create a Seekster, you know, profile, let's say you have a million Seekster profiles. We have a million encryption keys. There is no one more secure and better to collect data from your thermometer, from your withings, from your you know COVID testing, from your telemedicine visits, and putting them all into one place, than the patient themselves. And so, getting back to my example of Kaiser or Cleveland Clinic or NYU or MD Anderson, pick any health system, pick up the phone and call the CIO and ask them, hey. If you guys get hacked and you have five, 10, 20 million patients on your platform, how many encryption keys do you have? They have one for the whole entire freaking database. And most people don't know this. And the reason why it's built like that is because they were built on archaic systems. But bureaucracy in the providers and even in the payers slows down that patient centricity and innovation. But the patients themselves now, like you, like Larry, like myself, like our friends who didn't get a vaccine 
and they wish they did now. And they're going to go get a vaccine because they also got COVID just a couple of weeks ago, too, are now are going to be pushing towards this sort of, you know, new wave. And I think it's the patients that are going to be pushing us towards, you know, having this innovation in place, not just the CMS, ONC, interoperability final rules. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. I guess, Larry, tell us a little more about that whole, why is it that, you know, some of the benefits that the patients get, that's a great explanation of why they want it, why it's more secure, you know, there's a lot that you can do with it. What are some of the things, Larry, that you can do with it? And I know we've talked a little bit about the clinical and the, the um, you know, clinical trials piece, but I know you've also been thinking about some of the commercial applications as well, where patients can benefit from this unified and interoperable data. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think it, it's really a continuum. I, mean, I think patients benefit from potentially earlier identification and diagnosis, profile matching, uh, you know, timely and relevant information services or support for decision making that might be tied to your own clinical variables. Uh, you know, connecting to networks and care teams for for a different kind of activation. You know, it just it gives consumers and patients, I think, the opportunity to think differently about their engagement with health and well being. Um, you know. It'll fundamentally change, I believe, their interactions with the healthcare system. It'll create meaningful signals and open them up to a larger ecosystem of players and influencers, you know, in a marketplace of ideas where relevant health-related products and services can find them in some cases versus the other way around. So I think we have a chance to completely upend the way people relate to their healthcare through systems like this. Yeah, and I'd like to add also, look, interoperability to what um, Larry just said, Aaron. Interoperability is critical in both clinical and commercial settings. In clinical trials, study coordinators, researchers would benefit from interoperability across the EHRs, diagnostic labs, including the genetic testing labs, as well as from the abundance of wearables and remote patients, um, monitoring devices that help capture the health data in real time. The key is in real time. That standardization and harmonization, um, you know, of such complex data is extremely difficult and time consuming. And this is where at Seekster, our team has spent, you know, the most amount of time out of anyone out there in the last six years, really creating an engine that harmonizes and standardizes all of the ICD-9 and ICD-10 codes, as well as the SNOMED codes. And, you know, in the commercial setting, interoperability can unlock precision medicine and the hyper-personalization, as I call it, of healthcare services. And that can be ranging from custom, you know, nutrition and supplements to effective, you know, um, stress alleviation and properly even addressing mental health as that's a huge problem now. I mean, interoperability can align and optimize the complex web of providers, payers, pharmacists, researchers, caregivers, and who? The patients. It doesn't get any better. Now it's a dream come true. I guess with that, I do want to land the plane on this. I have a few questions remaining. Um, I do like to ask, because I've got two very smart gentlemen who think a lot about the healthcare system. We've had some bold predictions probably closer in in terms of what interoperability, patient centricity, all of this unlocks. 
Let's look five to 10 years out. Larry, I'll start with you. What's your bold prediction for, it can be anything, but certainly if you want to make it data centric, then that's fine too. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm thinking a lot about, and talking to my team is a lot about this notion of evidence-based engagement and autonomous healthcare marketing is kind of the, the headline that I would suggest is coming probably even sooner than five years, but let's say it's five years out. You know, and that is, I, we mentioned patients want to think differently about their engagement with health because it will be increasingly delivered by intelligent services, for lack of a better description today, where the goal is to tailor clinical trials or diagnosis or prevention or treatment to each individual at any place, time, or context. You know, the, the patients of the near future will experience an omnipresent and rapidly evolving health ecosystem driven by you know, increased health literacy, which is, I think, one of the most important things we don't talk a lot about today agency, you know, for themselves and self-determination of care to, you know, to change their behaviors, to improve health and to lower costs, you know, and, and for us to, to bring it back to, to what I do and what you do every day, Aaron, around marketing is the healthcare experience becomes ubiquitous. You know, it's about quantified storytelling and smart nudges throughout the journey uh, to drive desired behaviors, which will include health commerce. Uh, you know, in essence, it's the combination of an intelligence engine, behavior design, data, creative, and media. Uh, you know, content that can be deployed and tailored based on the user's own clinical and environmental variables uh, to sustain engagement. This is where we're going. This is definitely the future. I love it. Artie, what about you? What's your bold prediction? Yeah, look, I think the, um, uh, I, I love Larry's view. I couldn't agree more. I think there's so many different types of, you know, angles and pathways we can go down. But one thing that I've been seeing being the quarterback at, at, at Seekster for now almost six years is, um, it took a while, you know, for people to really understand um, how health data is really medicine. And um, my biggest bold prediction for the next five, 10 years starts with just looking for the past um, 16 months, 17 months. Look, the pandemic has accelerated digital health um, by at least seven years. I used to say it accelerated by five years. I think it's seven to 10 years. It has accelerated it. And in a month from now or two months from now or six months from now, we'll be looking back at this podcast and we'll be like, oh my God, no, maybe it accelerated it by 12 years. I don't know, but it definitely is accelerating the acceleration. <laughs> That's number one. Number two, um, more consolidation and vertical integration of healthcare services yeah. to further benefit the consumer are really happening. I mean, we saw what happened in telemedicine, right? In the past 16, 17 months and um, telehealth that got fully accelerated because of what's happening. Decentralized trials have been accelerating uh, because of the pandemic. And, you know, our space, the healthcare data ecosystem, there's a lot of consolidation happening in this space. And the reason being is because there's not that many real solutions. API plays are not the solution. Um, I think that people are looking for a full comprehensive platform that can bring together a 360 degree patient view. And um, this uh, in turn will push um, various different enterprises to have engagements with patients so that they can have cheaper, more accessible gene therapies, targeting rare disease, or you know, um, cancer, whatever that may be, faster vaccination. 
I mean, imagine what you can do with taking everyone who has the Delta variant right now and creating the new better booster shot, I guess, you know, um, someone should be sequencing us, someone should be getting our information, but there's no real connected system to do that. I do think that in the next five to 10 years, we will have a system like that. And I truly believe that our technology can be, um, you know, a leading edge for any enterprise that's looking to traject into these uh, different segments. Well, amen to that. And that's a good segue into our last couple of questions, a serious one and a little more fun one. And Artie, I'll start with you. Let's keep it Twitter sized if we can. You have one wish, <laughs> one wish only. You probably used one of them already, but I'll give you another one. Uh, what's your wish? Um, tell us why. You know, I, I think my wish changed in the last 72 hours. My one wish is um, if, if you're an anti-vaxxer, Think twice about it. Because I thought you were going to ask for air-conditioned sheets, but that's probably a better uh, <laughs> long-term alternative. <laughs> and, and secondly, if if you just haven't gotten a vaccination because you haven't gotten a vaccination, think twice about it. And if you've gotten a vaccination, wear a mask indoors. I'm living proof, and I'm fully vaccinated. I wish I could lie to you, but I'm sweating here, and my passion for Seekster my passion for science, my passion for, you know, everything on this podcast kept me alive all weekend because I couldn't wait to get on a call with you guys and cheers to health with Casa Amigos. Cheers. I love it. Um, so Larry, what's your uh, wish? You know, it's along the same lines. Uh, I, I would love lifetime access to the researchers and teams who are developing next generation thinking of the most cutting edge technology, you know, places like SRI or RAND or DARPA, you know, I love to see smart people solving big challenges. Nothing is more inspirational. And I really, really want to be able to see and understand the future before anyone else. That's my wish. That's a good one. Uh, last up. So the proverbial, you're stuck on a deserted Island, hopefully not with uh, COVID or the, the Delta variant. Uh, one album, which would you take and why? Larry, I'll start with you. You know, it's so tough, particularly in a world where everything is accessible at our fingertips, but I'll, you know, I'll play along. I, I'd have to say U2 is the Joshua Tree. You know, that is particularly in our day and age today, I view it as a really a sweeping look at America through the eyes of an outsider. You know, what's real about this country, what's idealized, what's working, what's not. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but the, the songs are mesmerizing and beautiful. I mean, where the streets have no name, with or without you, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Come on. There's just nothing better than that. That's great choice. I, I would be on my top 10. Uh, Artie, what's yours? So I, I, I was at the Coliseum um, in, uh, is it the Coliseum? I have COVID brain now in LA. Saw you two. Bono, unbelievable. If you haven't seen Bono and you two, make sure you do that before you die. It is one of the best things I've ever done in my life. And I couldn't agree with Larry Moore. But mine would be Dark Side of the Moon with Pink Floyd, and that's gotten me through all my hard times of suffering, and I will repeat that, and if I want to make it even more interesting, I'll put, you know, the um, uh, Wizard of the Oz, start it on the third lion roar, and I'll play Dark Side of the Moon, and um, I'll just kind of zen out on that. That's the way that I solve my problems, and I think of crazy ideas with Seekster. Well, Very cool. 
two great and uh, very fitting albums. Uh, thank you both. So we've had the pleasure of meeting with Artie Arian Poor, who is the CEO and co-founder of Seekster uh, and uh, active vaccine, vaccine uh, advocate. Uh, we have Larry Mickelberg, who is the group president at Real Chemistry. We talked about some very important topics today. Thank you both, gentlemen. This was a ton of fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you Thanks, very guys. much for having me on and, and cheers to Real Chemistry and Seekster and to all your guys' uh, help. Thank you very much. Well, cheers yeah. and feel better soon, Artie. We, we uh, wish yeah, Artie, the best for you. Well. Thank you so much. Want more episodes of the Real Chemistry podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Stitcher app, or iHeartRadio via the Health Podcast Network. Go to realchemistry.com for more info.